Well, we are in this season of Lent, and again, if you're unfamiliar with Lent, which would not be surprising, I was not familiar with Lent for a great many years of my upbringing, the, the season of Lent is these, uh, this several-week uh, season leading up to Easter, which is all about like preparing ourselves for the resurrection. Um, and during this season, we have said, you know what, as, as a church, we are going to do a series, and we are going to take on this topic of polarization. And um, we kind of preempted the question that we were expecting from a lot of people. Why on earth are we as a church talking about polarization? Well, um, the image that we want you to have in mind, once again, is the image of magnets, that when you try to bring them together, no matter how hard you try to force them together, they, like, repel one another. And we as people, we have these identities, we have these beliefs, we have these convictions and expectations that stack on top of each other. And often what that means is no matter how hard we try to come together as people with different identities and beliefs and convictions, no matter how hard we try to force it, we like are repelled to our opposite corners. And our, our conviction as a church is that that's not always good. And that it would be better if we can't come together on these things, if we could figure out how to move forward together, get along together. There's the practical element of we are people who live alongside other people who are different from us, and it would be good for us to be able to live alongside other people who are different from us. And then at the same time, we are a church, and we claim to be followers of Jesus, and this is the type of work that Jesus was intimately involved in. And so as a church and as followers of Jesus, we ought to be intimately involved in this work as well. If we can't come together on these things and agree on all of these things, it's okay, but we need to figure out how to learn from and love one another regardless. So, the, this is the big topic that we're talking about over the course of this season, and we're talking about individual topics every single week, individual identities or beliefs or, or values. So, last week we talked about religious identity, and this week we get to talk about ethnic identities. Um, have you ever been in a grocery store when you are, uh, you're, you're looking for different types of food items and most of these grocery stores now have signage above each of the aisles and it kind of lists the different things that are in the aisles. And uh, there's all of this normal food, norm, I'll put normal in quotes, for those of you listening to the podcast later in the week, I'm doing air quotes, normal. Uh, there's all of the other normal food and then there's this one aisle with the sign that says what? ethnic food. All the other food is normal, and then there's just this one that's ethnic. And of course, ethnic is like uh, Hispanic food or Asian food, but that, that's as opposed to all of the other normal food that is in the whole rest of the store. Uh, this is becoming less of the case, but there's plenty of grocery stores that are, are, are like that. Um, you can think about that as, an, as a metaphor an or an example of my upbringing. So I grew up in rural northwest Wisconsin, where basically everyone who lived there and lives there looks like me, largely has the same type of background as me. And so I did not have to think about ethnicity or race at all growing up. Um, I thought of myself as normal, right? 
so I, I grow up, I then go off to school, which is in a different type of place with, with more diversity, and then I go to college where um, one of the things that I'm learning about at a liberal arts institution, even though it's a Christian school, is uh, I, like I had a course specifically called Race, Ethnicity, and Peacemaking. And it was through this exposure to different types of people with different beliefs and different backgrounds and different skin colors, and then like studying history, I had this epiphany. Are you ready for this? I'm white. <laughs> Shocking, right? Um, what I don't mean is my skin color, actually. Uh, we just were on a beach vacation a couple weeks ago. Uh, Chelsea gets all these comments about her being tan. I have not gotten a single comment from any of you about being tan. And the reason is because I'm so, like, my skin color is so white, I go from transparent to translucent. <laughs> Uh, so, like, I'm not talking about my skin color. That, that's very, very obvious when you look at me. What I'm talking about is I identity, like the identity of, of whiteness. I'm not normal as opposed to all of those other people. I have a certain ethnic and racial identity that is defined as whiteness, and what that means is I have a lot of, there's a lot of history that's involved with that, a lot of politics that are involved with that, a lot of um, power and privilege that come along with that, and part of being white is that I don't have to think about those things unless I choose to. Race is actually a pretty new type of categorization for us as human beings. Just within the last few hundred years, we started talking about race and dividing people by uh, skin color and other qualities that you can just see on a person. And we could get into that, the importance of that, why people started categorizing people within race. But ethnicity, ethnicity is a really old categorization. For thousands of years, people have categorized people by ethnicity, which is about um, culture and geography and uh, other identity markers. And we even see this in the pages of the Bible written down and experienced thousands of years ago. We even see this in the life of Jesus himself. One of the big words that gets shared about Jesus um, and, and the life of Jesus, especially around Christmas time, is the incarnation. Y'all familiar with that, that word, the incarnation? What the incarnation is, is this idea that God came in human flesh, and Jesus is that expression of God in human flesh. And there's this weird mystery in, in Jesus, in this God person, that Jesus is both fully God and fully human. And we often, especially in church circles, lean into the, the Jesus being fully God thing. And yet, what I'm going to challenge you to think of today is the experience of Jesus being fully human. And what that can not only tell us about Jesus, but can tell us about the experience of us being human as well. And what we can learn from what it means to be human with certain ethnic identities. Uh, the ethnic identity of Jesus and the interaction of him with other people of different ethnic identities is really clear in the passage in the story we're going to talk through today, which appears in one of the four biographies about the life of Jesus called Matthew. So this story is in Matthew 15, 21 through 28, and it'll be up here on the screen behind me so you can read along. After going out from there, Jesus went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. 
a Canaanite woman from the area came and cried out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is horribly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. Then his disciples came and begged him, Send her away, because she keeps on crying out after us. So he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and bowed down before him and said, Lord, help me. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, he said. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, woman, your faith is great. Let what you want to be done for you. And her daughter was healed from that hour. How many of you have heard this story before? This is not a super familiar story, maybe because it's a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> um, I've, I've heard this story many of times. I've, I've read this story many of times. Um, and, and yet, I noticed something different this week, and maybe that's because of my own experience uh, just two weeks ago. Um, it mentions that Jesus goes somewhere. He's, he's been working, he's been hard at work, teaching and healing and doing all of these big, important things. And uh, we, we think of Jesus being God. He's got all of this energy and endurance he can push through. And yet this human side of Jesus starts showing up. He's been working really hard and he needs some rest. So after this, it says, he goes to Tyre and Sidon. I had never looked up where these places are. You know where they are? They're on the Mediterranean coast. So Jesus is tired from working really hard, and he goes on a beach vacation. Because he needs some rest and relaxation. And the image that I had in my head, I didn't put a picture up here, uh, but the image that I want you to have in your head too, is Jesus sitting under one of those, um, those beach umbrellas, and he's, got, he's kicking back in a, in a chair in the sand, and he's got a table next to him with a pina colada maybe. He's just like, I've been working hard. Now I'm going to rest hard so that I'm ready for what's ahead of me. He's earned this, right? So it is while he's at his beach vacation in this neighboring country, not Israel, not Palestine, he's in this neighboring country when this woman comes up to him. This woman has a, a daughter who is horribly demon-possessed, as, as the uh, story says, and she comes to him because she's heard things about him, she's heard that maybe he has healed people like her daughter, and so he asks her to heal her daughter. And how does he respond? He doesn't respond. He, he like, doesn't have the time of day for her at all. He doesn't say a word to her. He's on his beach vacation. Don't interrupt the dude on his beach vacation. Well, his, his followers, his disciples are with him, and they are kind of, as they do, they kind of take note of what their teacher says and does. They are watching him interacting with this Canaanite woman, and they start getting annoyed by her too. So they are getting annoyed, so they come to Jesus and annoy him and say, this woman's annoying us. They won't, she won't leave us alone. Will you do something with her. And now he responds by saying, I was just sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus is here responding. 
He is giving a reason for not helping this woman out by raising up a difference in ethnic identity. Does that make anybody uncomfortable a little bit? Uh, you might not know any difference between uh, being a, a, a Jewish person or the, a, a person of Israel, a lost sheep of Israel, as, as Jesus says, or the Canaanite people. Uh, it would be entirely, uh, I, I would predict that there's no reason for you to know that. So let me just really quickly break this down a bit. Uh, the people of Israel had been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years, and God set them free from slavery, uh, brought them uh, across the, the Red Sea. Part of the, uh, part of the sea for them was bringing them into this land of promise. Do you guys remember this, this story at all? Um, so he, he brought them, God brought them to this place that was going to be their, their promised land, and when they arrived there, there's people there. So something has to be done with and about those people. A few weeks ago, we talked about the, uh, the story of Joshua and Rahab and uh, the, the city of Jericho, where they come in and they march around the city and the walls fall down and, and they defeat the people who are there. So these people, these outsiders come in to get this land that they say God has promised them. There's already people there. And so what do they do? They kill everyone there so that they can have that land for themselves. They kill men, women, children, animals, all of them, so that they can take that land for themselves. And then even more heinous is that they construct a backstory to explain why it's okay that they did what they did. God promised us this land. So we can do this thing to these people. We can wipe them off the map. These were really bad people anyways. Here's what you need to know about the Canaanite people. They were godless. They hated God. They hated their neighbors. They're, they are better off, actually, for us wiping them out. So the, the Canaanite people are literally wiped off the map. They are mostly extinguished. So hundreds of years later, we get Jesus, who is himself a Jewish man, going on vacation outside of Israel, which was their promised land, and we're told that a Canaanite woman comes to him. There was no such thing as a Canaanite at this point. So Matthew, his biographer, goes out of his way to say this woman who draws her history from the Canaanites, from those people that Jesus is uh, Jesus' people defeated and killed, she is now coming to him of a different ethnic identity and asking that he do something for her. And just like me growing up, just like many of us in this room, he has this ethnic identity, not the most privileged at this time, but still a privileged one above a, a Canaanite who's been extinguished to say, I don't have to deal with this if I don't want to. How human is that? And yet, what we see is that this woman, this Canaanite woman, does not give up. She herself is relentless. She continues to go to him and put herself in front of his face. He might not recognize her humanity, but she will not go away until he sees that she is 
fully human, that she is fully beloved. She calls him son of David. He calls her a dog. Don't do that, especially a woman. And yet she is convinced that she is a child of God. She will not walk away until Jesus himself recognizes that. And guess what? Jesus then recognizes it and responds to it because he's been forced to see her. There is this uh, theory within psychology that's known as mere exposure effect. Mere exposure effect is basically what it sounds like. Um, there have been many studies that have been done around who has, who, especially in the United States, harbors the most fear and hatred of immigrants or fear and hatred of uh, uh, racial others. And what these studies say over and over and over again is those who, who harbor the most hatred and fear of people like immigrants or uh, people of different races are those who don't know any immigrants and don't know anybody who, of a different race. The places in the country where the most uh, uh, immigrant hatred is, is the places where there are the fewest number of immigrants. And yet the opposite is true. The idea is that by merely being exposed to someone who is an immigrant, to someone who has a different ethnic or religious background than you, to someone who maybe has even a, a different sexual or, or gender identity than you, you are confronted by their humanity and your feelings towards them become warmer. And your feelings towards the group that they represent become warmer as well. We see this in real time in the life of Jesus himself. Now, what happens at the end of this story is that Jesus responds to her. He's moved to respond to her. Her daughter is healed. She goes her separate way. Jesus apparently enjoys the rest of his vacation and goes, goes back to work. Uh, but there is no, like, big conversion experience. They don't come to an understanding, a mutual understanding. They still have these really strong ethnic identities, uh, a really messy history between the two of them. Uh, Jesus's uh, ethnic identity was one that wiped out her ethnic identity. They didn't sort through all of that. They didn't figure all that out. And yet, because Jesus eventually, finally, got to the point where he could respond to her, like, it, just be with her and listen to her, he was able to listen, he was able to learn, he was able to grow in love towards her. And both of them walk away changed. Both of them walk away changed by the grace of God. The Canaanite woman walks away changed because she's experienced the grace of God in her daughter being healed. And Jesus walks away being changed because he now comes to a fuller understanding of what the grace and love of God looks like, even through him, God himself. And from here on out, by the end of the Gospel of Matthew, we don't hear Jesus saying, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. He, on his way out the door, tells his followers, go to the ends of the earth, preaching the gospel to 
everyone to all of the nations. She has been changed by the experience of interacting with an ethnic other, and Jesus has been as well. I don't know how you feel about the idea of, of that type of Jesus, of, of the human Jesus who shows a little bit of a flaw even, shows a little bit of a, um, an unwillingness to change, and then to changing and becoming more loving. But I, as a normal person in a world around people who are different from me, I, as a follower of Jesus, trying to follow the way of Jesus, find it incredibly encouraging. Because if Jesus, this God-man himself, in his full humanity, can come to the point where he can listen and learn and love and change and grow in grace, if Jesus can do that, maybe I can too. Maybe you can too. Maybe we all can. May that be true. Amen.